Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. IFSTA is dedicated to advancing firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, instructor resources, and student study materials. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training content has made us a fire service leader. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Welcome to tonight's Politics and Tactics. We got a great show for you. My co-host, Sam Villani, Dave Polykoff, and we have Mike on from PG County who has a phenomenal podcast. Um, just to make sure we do him justice, Mike, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Mike Nassi. Uh, I'm a lieutenant from Shortest County Fire MS Department. Uh, I've been there for almost 17 years now, and uh, I'm the host and creator, I guess, if you will, of the uh, Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast. You're not as cute as that little girl that just jumped on, I say. <laughs> no, 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 so, you're definitely right. How long have you been doing the podcast? Because the podcast has been pretty much anybody who's anybody's been on it, except Dave Polykoff and Sam. But uh, <laughs> every, everybody else has been on the, this show. So you've got a you got a strong following out there. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a year uh, next month. Uh, so we're right around 11 months. Um, yeah. You had some pretty good guests and uh, everybody's been pretty um, eager to get on. And I haven't really been told no a whole lot, but it has happened. So, you know, I guess there's oh. that. Well, you, you can feel free to just, you know, don't tell us who it is. Just give us their last name. Sure. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. right. No, I got you. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get you a nice uh, list at the end of the show. Kind of figure that out. Um, I asked Mike to come on tonight because we wanted to talk a little bit about search and aggressive search. And Mike and I are writing an article for fire engineering. It's a class I'm teaching at FDIC this year. And I figured we got, you know, Sam and uh, Dave to I hope you're the only one drinking that beer, Sam, not your kids. Look, man, I'm not alcoholic. Oh, look at that. Oh, and a, and a great American company, too. I really appreciate that. A great American company. We have no problem plugging great American com- uh, companies on this show. And then and maybe we could get everybody's – I don't know. Did anybody else watch the debate last night, or was I the only one? I, I totally no. spaced on it, man. I forgot it was on. But, you know, I got to listen to the highlights on, on the, the podcast coming into uh, work this morning, so – Interesting. So I give, give a hot take on the on the debate at the at the end and uh, a trap that any leader could fall into because Nikki Haley fell into a trap that any leader can fall into and uh, we'll cover that at the end. So let's let's start off with uh, search. I'll let Dave Polykoff start off the conversation because he's kind of cued into all this. Go, Dave. So what you know, I read read the uh, the stuff that you had sent me and and I had done 
or not me personally, but we had talked about aggressiveness. Um, that's one of the things that I pulled right out of the article that you're reading because when uh, when I teach truck company stuff, we talk about you know aggressive truck company work, aggressive engine company work, and and you're right that the moment that you say aggressive, people automatically go, oh, you're dangerous, you're reckless, and, and all that stuff. But you know if you actually look the definition up, it, it means moving quick with a purpose, um, and and you, you're not. Reckless does don't don't think that reckless means freelancing or reckless means dangerous or 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 abandonment of of uh, safety or anything like that. They go hand in hand. When when you're aggressive, that means you know your job, you're doing your job well, which means you move quickly and uh, you get the job done. And I think that's what the public is looking for when we arrive on the scene to to uh, you know search a building. We're not just like we're first day of fire one class. We're actually moving quick with a purpose. We're going in, you know, we should have already sized up that building, already taken a look, figure out where, where my uh, rescue profiles are, where the savable, where, where people, where the livable spots are on this particular structure. Even if the thing looks like it's well involved, um, pick your points and then you move with a purpose. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hate it when people, you know, automatically think because you bring up the word aggressiveness mean, means recklessness or dangerous or cowboy mentality. And, and it's it's not that at all. I can't agree any more than that, because the fact of the matter mm. is aggressive was always a positive thing. When I was coming up in the fire service, you know, you want an aggressive company. And then for some reason, that term was co-opted by those who wanted to craft the narrative in another direction. And I think it's important that we don't allow people to capture our language and change the meaning of it. Um, George Orwell, I think, said it best. But if thought corrupts language, then language can also corrupt thought from 1984. So I think it's important as firefighters that we want firefighters to be aggressive. I know as being a chief, I wanted to be... I didn't want to have to push anybody in. I'd rather hold them back. And I think that most chief officers are like that. We want the companies to be aggressive to do their job. That doesn't mean that they're not doing a risk analysis. It doesn't mean they're not attacking with a sensible level of aggression. But we also want to be aggressive in training. And I think that that, that sometimes is the trap is we're not aggressive enough in training to build upon that experience. Mike, do you want to talk about how that experience component is so important when it comes to training. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about before and, and writing this article as well is I think it all comes down to a matter of having a strong foundation, right? You can't put the roof of a house on without first building the foundation, having the walls and everything, you know, I think aggression comes from discipline, from knowledge and experience when they all come together and hit that, hit that peak um, efficiency. I think that um, when you train, when you when you train on relevant topics with relevant skills and the basics, like the bare bones basics of how to do something the right way, I think everything else just creates that platform to build off of. And without that strong foundation, I really don't think anything else can go very well because all you're going to do is compromise small, minute things that you didn't really learn that well in the beginning. I completely agree. Sam, when you're as an academy instructor, because I know you taught in a couple recruit classes, you know, talk a little bit about the importance of 
yes, we know we want to break down larger tasks into smaller components to get to that level of excellency. But I think that sometimes in recruit class and fire one programs across the country, there's almost this inclination to demonstrate the skill slowly and methodically. But then there's never that real part added in of this is the speed that you should be searching in this environment where kind of the students getting a false impression of what they need to do. Can you speak to that? Yeah. And actually, I actually have a pretty good example of how, um, uh, I don't want to say me, but my, my team, when I was at the Academy, um, addressed or, or tried to address that, uh, in the best way we could with, with, with the amount of time we had with the recruits. Um, so when I got into, uh, as the recruit training coordinator in 2016, um, we had a 26, 26 week recruit class. Two of those weeks were taken up with a, um, a class, a strategy and tactics class that, uh, in my opinion was too advanced for, because, you know, we had people, obviously we had people that came in with experience. We also had an equal number, if not more people, um, that came in with zero experience. So instead of giving them this advanced class that they need, you know, to promote, um, and by the time they get to promotion, they're going to forget this class or they're going to have to revisit it completely. Um, we took those two weeks and we broke it down into, uh, advanced operations, engine, truck, and rescue. And with that advanced truck, that's exactly what they did with the search function. Um, same thing with, with, uh, they incorporated some, um, some nozzle forwards some hose looping, that kind of stuff in the engine and went, went the next level also with the rescue. So, we actually addressed that. We addressed that, okay, we understand we have the um, NFPA 1001 standards for Fire 1 and Fire 2 we have to fulfill as a training academy. Uh, but we also know we have, we owe it to the uh, field, the, the folks in the field that are going to receive these recruits uh, on day one, even if they're counting as extra staffing for those first two weeks like they do uh, in a, in our, on our job, um, that they have some semblance of, of uh how fast, uh, uh, some semblance of understanding of how fast we operate. And um, we gave them a taste of that in that advanced operations class we gave at the end of recruit, recruit school. I think that's great. And well, some of the things that Mike and I uh, talked about in this article, and Dave, I'd like to know your take on it, is that are we doing a disservice with NFPA 1403? Now, I know the intent of walking the students through and the participants when we're doing a live burn to show them where their exits are, was basically born out of incompetent fire instructors who did some really dumb things. But it's almost to the point where we're holding everybody's hand when we walk them through the live burn. Um, technology advanced, you know, I'd be okay with NFPA revisiting this and looking at to ensure that the instructors walk through and know where all the exits are. Uh, the instructors um, are charged with having a thermal imaging camera that's properly charged to monitor students. But I think that when you pre-walk a company through before these burns, they we're trying to get them to have a level of confidence that they could do this at three o'clock in the morning with minimal supervision. And now we basically let them see the test before the test do you think that's a hindrance? Do you think what's your take on that? I, I do think it's a hindrance if if every time you 
host <clears throat> a live burn or a class A burn, uh, or even if you're doing the gas grill burns in, in some of these uh, LPG or propane buildings, natural gas, um, when you walk them through every single time, I, I agree that uh, the instructors need to make sure that they walk through, they're familiar with how everything works. This is just a review. <clears throat> but if you are following 1403, you have certified instructors, like in, in Maryland, we have MICRB uh, level two instructors. Um, you have many attack lines, more than you'd probably use for a normal house fire, including your writ line as well as your instructor line, which is charged. You have people that are lighting the fires and monitoring. You have instructors that are going in with the crews. You're allowing the officers to lead their crews, but the instructors are there with them in case something happens. So there's many layers of safety, redundancy built into that. So as far as recruit classes go, I'd say on day one, when they're still dressed in their suits and ties, they haven't even gotten their uniforms yet. You take them on a tour of the, of the academy, which I know they do. Take them on a tour of the burn building. Here's where we burn and all that. That's the last time you're going to see this building without smoke in it. We're, we're not going to walk you through every single time we do a burn. Um, <clears throat> same thing with, uh, with um, live burns in acquired structures. Uh, if you are following the policy, if you're following the NFPA rule, you are making that house, relative terms, safe to burn in. There's no reason to walk people through that if you have the same amount of instructors that you do at your training academy as you do at a, at a class A burn and an acquired structure. So, yes, if you uh, walk them, if you hold their hand and walk them through everything, they're not going to be prepared when they uh, go out in the field. Um, quick story. When I was firefighter in Silver Spring, uh, um, I had I became a preceptor. So my first uh, uh, recruit that came to Silver Spring, I was his preceptor, was Rich Tatum. Um, I know you know him, Sam. Um, and he was a volunteer prior to coming on as the career side, but he had only taken fire one. So he's never been in a building which is actually on fire. He went through the academy. They had the uh, the natural gas at the, at the training academy. Um his first night, we had a, a, a decent working fire in downtown Silver Spring. We had three rooms off, which is unheard of in downtown Silver Spring. Um, I was riding line. He was riding back up. I hit a couple rooms. I let him have the last room on the line. And the first thing he said when he came out, he goes, that was way different than the training academy. So these guys aren't even getting the, the notion or the sense of what a working fire actually is if we're training in natural gas and then you're going to turn around and walk them through and show them where all the exits are and where the fire is going to be every single time, hundred percent of the time, because we can't move these props around. I, I think uh, you're, you're creating this false security for when they get out in the field and they realize right away, Hey man, that, that, that was nothing like, uh, like the, the train academy. It was totally different. And, and we expect that a little bit, but uh, you know, th th there has to be that, sense of learning how to make decisions and learning how to to feel your way through these emergency situations without somebody holding your hand if that makes sense so what you're saying is we're making it so safe it's dangerous and nfpa should take a look at this and make the changes based off the operational realities that firefighters face every day keeping in mind ensure your instructors are competent that they you know speaking to what mike was talking about that they have the experience knowledge and training to be in that position to be an instructor for that day mike let's talk a little bit about empty promises and empty rooms how many burn buildings in america where they train these firefighters have no furniture 
I mean, I've been in plenty of vacant buildings in New Haven. I've yet to find a vacant building in the city that has no furniture. I mean, it's going to have something in it. But yet we want these recruits to have confidence and we want them to be aggressive and be quick and be safe and be able to tell where windows are and layouts are and things of that nature. And yet they're searching in empty rooms. Can you speak to that? So to touch a little bit on what you guys are talking about before real quick, you also don't want to create an environment of complacency, right? So by that, I mean, I'm not saying any individual is complacent. What I guess, or what I'm trying to say is, so for example, if you have a burn building or an acquired structure and you run them through it and you run through every single scenario and you say, hey, don't put the fire out. We, We don't have a ton of materials. We have to watch our materials. Don't put the fire out all the way. Knock it all the way down. We'll rotate you out. Everybody will take the line. We'll build it back up. We'll open a window. The fire flare back up. Knock it down. Don't put it out. Next guy rotates, rotates, rotates. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to have people that are going to come out in the field. They're going to get to their first fire and not going to put the fire out all the way because they're also not thinking in their conscious mind because they're stressed. They're under duress, right? So they're going to they're going to go right back to their training. They're going to stop thinking, especially if it's their first fire. So they're not, they're not, let me take that back. They're not, not thinking they're falling to the level of their training. It's something they're, they're new to, they haven't experienced to. So they're going to go right back to what they've seen before, right? Your brain is when your brain is under duress, it's all a matter of, um, slides and experiences that runs through rapidly and then it finds a solution for the problem at what you have in front of you, which is exactly that. So I think when you create that and you show them the room, you show them absolutely everything all the time. Now they're not walking out in the field thinking, Oh, okay, this is a split foyer home. I know that bay window is probably the living room, which means those windows over there are bedrooms, which means when I get to the top of these steps, if I go to the left, I'm going to have a hallway. If I go straight, I'm going to have a kitchen or, or a bathroom or whatever. And then the kitchen's going to be off to the right. And then the living room's right there, straight down the steps. You're going to have a bathroom. You're going to have a, the in-law suite or slider for the rear, whatever, right? They're not going to be thinking for those things unless they're taught that, right? Unless somebody intervenes and says, this is how we do it every time. So you need to start looking at these houses. You need to start looking at the building or study your building construction, understand how these houses are laid out for them to think about those things. So why is that relevant for empty rooms inside of burn buildings that you talked about, Frank? So if you go in, like you said, and you have these burn rooms, <clears throat> excuse me, you have these burn rooms and there's nothing in there. Well, they don't know how to maneuver because maneuvering in your gear and, and doing things in your gear is much different than absolutely anything you can do, right? I think all you guys can agree with that. Pretty safe to say. So now if you don't have all those obstacles in the way, now you're trying to move and navigate your way through, you know, what things feel like in your gear, what it feels like to try and make a corner or swing a corner to get into a room, to do a search, to understand, oh, well, this is what a bed feels like with zero visibility, high heat. And I don't know where I'm at because I've never been in this house before. Those kind of things. I think you, when you do those burn rooms, you need to make them as real as possible. And I think... I think Montgomery County had a part a floor in their training academy that was f- like for searches and stuff. It was right above their bur- their burn rooms, and they had them laid out like apartments and then garden apartments and houses. Or am I am I correct on that? I think the, it was the old academy. Yeah, the old academy. Okay, so those <laughs> are those things are very relevant. I mean, I'm not saying you can't predict absolutely everything, but what I ca- what I do think you can do is if you have and just for conversation's sake, a place like Montgomery, Prince George's, Frederick. There's enough 
call volume for people to say, generally, this is probably what you're going to see in a, if you're training for garden apartments, this is probably what it's going to look like. You're probably going to have some couches. You're more than likely going to have two to three bedrooms per single family. And they usually have a bed or, you know, an end table or whatever have you. And, And I think that makes those things relevant that way when they get out in the field for that first time, it's not an empty room. It's game speed. It's a hundred miles an hour, full tempo. And now they're going to be looking for those obstacles. And when they run into them, they're not going to be surprised. Well, well, wait a minute. You know, this is the first time I'm running into this and I'm in gear and I'm wearing an air pack and I'm on air where all those things start taking away and pulling at your senses and your um, conscious thought. And, and I've seen some places get metal furniture um, that's bolted to the floor. I think that's a bad idea. I think you got to be able to, to move sure. it, to set up, set up a room. I mean, it's a, it's a step in the right direction, but you know, there's nothing that says that you can't drive to work and look on the curb and find a crib so that there's a crib to search in the room and things of that nature. Uh, Sam, when do you speak to moving furniture? Like, do you move furniture when you search? Do you try to leave it in place? What's your, your take on that? Well, I actually, actually got a, a prime example of why I don't do that or why, you know, when I was, uh, when I was searching, uh, you know, towards the end of my ride and fire trucks part of my career. Uh, your fun part of your job, the yeah, fun the part fun of your part, career, right, it's over. Right. Uh, fresh out of, well, not fresh out of recruit school. I was off probation assigned to a firehouse and I had um, a, a tremendous opportunity early in my career to make a grab and rescue a four month old baby from a crib in a basement in Wheaton, Maryland on, off of Blue Hill Road. And uh, ba- baby survived. She got flown. I, I got burned. I, I got burned and uh, somebody had to come down and get me. Monty Fish, who retired as a battalion chief from Montgomery County. Uh, I, owe, I owe him my life because I had tossed that room because, uh, you know, a younger firefighter, aggressive. I'm searching so fast, uh, so not so fast, so frantically for this kid. I know the kid's down there. The mom's like, <clears throat> she's down that basement and they couldn't make the basement. And I'm down there and I had tossed the room and got to the crib, was able to get her out one of the uh, basement hopper windows. And when I got back down to orient myself to get back out, I was lost. Uh, it was rolling over at that point pretty good. Um, and I, 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 knew I, I, knew I, I knew I was in a basement, but uh, I didn't know what, what side I was on. Transmitted a mayday, and Monty uh, was on a Wheaton's rescue squad. And he came down and, and uh, did a search, searched through all the shit I had tossed around and found me and uh, got me out and uh, on the way up thermal column got me burn me on my back and my ass so <laughs> but uh learned a tough lesson there right uh, thankfully didn't uh, lose my life um didn't trade my life for it uh but uh, after that I, I made a conscious effort hey listen I'm, I'm orienting myself as i go right well if i start moving stuff around i'm, I'm wiping that orientation away so you can move, you can move stuff out and move it back. You can lift stuff up, lift under, reach over that kind of thing. Sweep with your leg. Yeah, exactly. But you're not, you're not, yeah. Moving stuff. Uh, yeah. From, from, from experience early on in my career, I can tell you not a good idea. And besides losing where you are in the structure, you could cover a victim or cover a door to another room or to an exit. My brother had a job in Middletown where they forced the door to the front of the of the front apartment door to the second floor and it covered the door to the bedroom. 
and they were searching forever. The fire was just like smoldering and hot. They couldn't find the room. It turned out the guy was cheating on his wife and she threw gas on him and lit him on fire. And it just kind of smoldered in the mattress. And it was when they were running out of air leaving that somebody actually hit the door that was chocked open to find the door behind the door. So, you know, doors, furniture, don't move furniture if you don't, if you, if you, if you don't have to, you know, put it in a position that you already searched. If you do have to, like along the wall that's stable. Dave Polykoff, weigh in on this. Yeah, one of the, my pet peeves when I watch these uh, recruits search, <clears throat> especially you know in in the old academy at, at Montgomery, <clears throat> they were up on the that upper floor searching, and I'd watch them. They they pull the couch away from the wall and go behind the couch and search, and then they push the couch back. And, I, and I'd always ask them after it was over, why did you do that? And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, that, that, that there was nobody there. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, how psychotic does somebody have to be that a fire breaks out? They pull the couch away from the wall, they die behind it, and then push it back against the wall. Um, I said, not even a child's going to do that. I said, now, when you're looking for kids, all bets are off. You're looking everywhere, but you're definitely not looking behind a couch that's pushed up against a wall. So like Sam said, you know, moving furniture, you know, you go in, you recognize what it is right away. You know, we teach the recruits to call out what the furniture is so they know what it feels like. Um, but they don't flip the room all over the place. You know, first of all, you could end up throwing something on, on your partner. Um, but you want to be able, you're orienting yourself around that room. So when you're coming back out, you're hitting the same landmarks coming out. So you know where, where you're going to. And, and Frank, I know you got a story about searching and, and missing something from, from uh, I think it was the dog story, but, uh, you know, of where you were searching from, um, beds, closets, things like that. Yeah, you, you want to move those away a little bit, but uh, so, couches- so, wait a second. so wait a second here. You couldn't one up Sam saving the kid and having a mayday story. So you want to throw me under the bus with the dogs. No. But no, the only sa- the only saves I ever made were homeless people. And I usually ended up doing more damage, pulling them across broken glass. So I don't think that's a great story. Um, hey, that is a great story because the fact is in the fire department, all life has value. We represent absolutely. the best in humanity and no place is vacant until the fire department says it's vacant. So saving a home, that's it. Sam, you're out. Sorry about your kid's story. Dave, <laughs> Dave is more of a humanitarian, you know, that wasn't a rich kid family. You probably wouldn't even have went down there. So we, uh, <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> you, you also have to be really rapid with it though, too. I want to jump in real quick. Cause I, I have a bit of a, please uh, jump in. story. Um, so you have to be rapid with it, right? I mean, it's a primary, well, I guess, depending on where you're at, primary, secondary, primary searches are fast, real fast. And kind of what we're going to touch on in the um, article that we're writing is, you know, the engine company is going to go find the fire. Some places trucks go find it. And either way, the long story short is as you're on your way to go find that fire, you're going to search in the path. You're not going to break off and go to a bunch of rooms. You're going to go find that fire. You're going to go put it out before you knock that fire down. If you can like take a second, like get down low, like if your head's on the floor level, glimpse around before you knock it down, let the fire kind of like give you some light to kind of see what you're doing. If it's practical, if it's not practical, then it's not. But you know, you'd be really surprised. I think how much ground you can cover and territory you can cover. Cause if you think about it, the victims are going to probably probably be somewhere in the general vicinity of the primary means of egress, the front door, those kind of things. That's the whole point of why 
I guess the ideology of protect the primary means of egress is such a thing, a big thing in the fire service in general. That's what we're protecting. That's why a handline goes to the front door unless, you know, otherwise um, stated. But, you know, my experience is, and when I was a volunteer, this was in 2006 uh, in Calvert County, the great Calvert in the great city of Huntingtown. Huntington uh, Town. What's that? Huntington Town. Huntington Town. I'm a huge Boston fan of that fire department. They're fantastic. I got I got, I got my teeth there, and you know it's, it's a great place. So in Halloween, it was a Halloween of 2006. I might be getting the year wrong. My age is getting to me. But um, we had a fire, and you know there was a NDW was the closest firehouse to it, the the Navy base that's right there in um, Chesapeake Beach. I think it is. I think that part's Chesapeake Beach. Either way, near Hollandcliffe. And they get their fire throughout and we get there to second new engine, pull a line and we're on an engine. So think about this. We're not a ladder truck. We're not special service. We're just an engine getting a backup line because the guys on the first line are getting got burned. So we're knocking down the fire. We're getting, we're moving to the back bedroom and the door was open. So smoke, fire, all that. And I look over and I just see feet sticking out and I'm like, huh? So went around and like I said, it's quick. You don't, you don't move a bunch of stuff. You just, I mean, you, you can move things to get under them, I guess, if you, if you, if you really need to, but you sweep with your leg, you run your hand across the top of the bed, you run your hand in a crib, you run your hand through a closet, those kinds kind of things like uh, sweep your leg under it. I think I said that already, but uh, so we found this woman, dragged her out, not breathing, cardiac arrest, all that did CPR on her. They flew her. She was awake and talking. Uh, blinking her eyes by the time the helicopter landed. Actually, that's incorrect. She was breathing on her own by the time the helicopter landed. She was awake and conscious within, I think it was 24 hours, and they extubated her later on. And that's from an engine company. Uh, that's a real-world fire that a victim was found. She was viable. Um, her son did actually her, – her son perished. Uh, he was 12, and he was behind a door. The guy that found him, I knew him – or I know him. You know, him and I are good friends – and uh, he was on a different unit. He was on the rescue squad and uh, he was behind the door and he didn't make it. So sweeping behind doors, the, the path of um, entry, for the path of the hand line going to the fire, uh, to the seat of the fire. You know, those are all areas that are viable. People can live in them and you have to be careful when you go through them and make it quick and methodical, not slow down and bog yourself down. Because, again, the secondary search is going to come in behind you. It's a qu- primary is quick and dirty. Absolutely. It's got to be quick and dirty, but it's also got to be done by when it's radioed to command by geographic location. You don't want to take owner. You wouldn't buy property in Florida without going to see it. So you shouldn't ever say on the fire ground primary search is complete or secondary search is complete. It should be, you know, primary search of the second floor is complete. Only own what you've actually searched. So command has the right information to make the right move. Another thing that we see a lot of times is people are still walking inside fires, which I always thought was absurd, even with the camera, because the camera can't see around the couch, can't see around objects. Nothing replaces being on all fours, you know, searching as quick as you can. And one thing I want to caution people with is that you're a firefighter. You should expect to find somebody. And often firefighters don't expect to find anybody. And then when they do, it's like, I found somebody. Well, if you found somebody, Yes, you're going to remove that person as quick as you possible. But especially if you find somebody in the bed, 
take the tenth of a second and run your hand that across the whole bed to make sure somebody else isn't in that bed or in the immediate vicinity. Because if there's two people in a fire location, there's a good chance they could be close together. Uh, Dave Polikoff, weigh in on that. Yeah, absolutely. You. <clears throat> One of the things that Mike talks about, which is what we we teach, is that uh, you know you go find you go search for the mean through means of egress. So they normally in and out of that front door, that's where you're going to find your victims between the front door, hallway, stairs, bedrooms, in front of windows. So <clears throat> you do find somebody in in a room in a bedroom that's bunk beds. You should be looking for two people. If it's a full queen or king size bed, you should be looking for two people. Um, even if it's if it's a, a, a single bed, you may have a parent in that room with their child. So if you find one, you should be expecting to find more. One of the things that, that we talk about when we teach uh, truck company ops, we, we tell people we want them to come out and, and we, we question them. If they don't find any, like the first search, we won't even put anything in there in, in, a, in a, a furnished apartment. <clears throat> and we smoke it up and they come out <clears throat> and, and they said, we didn't find anybody. And the first thing we ask is, are you sure? And if they think, if they start to him and haw, then they did not do a good job searching. What I want people to come out and say, there was nobody in there. And, and uh, you know, tracking off a little bit, when I was on our, our dive team in, in Montgomery County, uh, we would search, did a lot of evidence search for police looking for guns and things like that. We'd search a pond, we'd come out, guns not, uh, we didn't find the gun, it's not there. And uh, they would say, well, how do you know it's not there? And I'd look at them, I said, because we didn't find it. So you have to be that sure when you're searching a structure that if you don't find anybody, you're 100% positive there's nobody there. And if you are questioning yourself, you didn't do a good job at the primary search. Very well said. Now, every turtle in Montgomery County is armed for all the weapons you didn't find. But, uh, <laughs> I think also there's a little bit of it with knowing your area that you're working in as well, like culturally, because there's some cultures out there where the in-laws stay with the family. Like that's a thing. You know what I mean? Like generations of people can live in a house. There's, there's, um, you Joe know, Biden, Joe Biden's president. There's people in every cultures that are living together. Well, I mean, well, come on. true. But, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. So what I was getting at the, that, but what I was getting at is, you know, think of those like three o'clock in the morning medicals, right. And you show up and grandma's sick, but there's like 17 people in the house. And there's like 10 cars in the driveway. They all live there, right? Some other cultures, little Timmy's got a stomach ache, but there's like 15 people there. Do they live there? Do they not? I don't know. But there's all there. You know, know as well as I do, some neighborhoods may have either very, very little occupancy or volume of occupants or a large volume of occupants. And I think that's something that you're going to have to know by getting out in your first due, paying attention on calls. You know, we talked a little bit about that um, before is, you know, look at the house when you show up. There's three or four cars in the driveway. I mean, there could be a lot of people in there and it's just something you have to pay attention to. It's one of those things I think that you learn in the field rather than, you know, in a textbook um, for that part. And kind of talks to what you said about before of, well, are you sure anybody's in there? Well, how do you know really how many people are going to be in the house? Because I think that, you know, two adults, two kids, the four, the four, 4.5 person family that was so, you know, normal between the 80s and 90s. I don't think that's a thing anymore. And it's something we have to prepare for and think about and know about our first dues that we work in. 
Yeah, you almost have to make the the you almost have to have the expectation that you're going to have a, cl- a cluttered house and a, and a highly highly occupied house. Um, we had one on, on Thanksgiving, a uh, single family type three, post World War II, 1,200 square foot with a basement home, 12, 12 people displaced. Don't doubt and it. And that's com and that's common. <clears throat> it's common in our areas, the, the areas we work in. On this, the, the four of us. Um, that's that's common these days. Sure. I mean, sure. You're, you're you're finding restaurants now. You know you that like Chinese restaurants, things like that. You'll have family members that that live there that stay there. Um, yeah. So even though it's two o'clock in the morning, you're running a strip a strip mall or a restaurant fire in a strip mall. You need to do an aggressive primary search because chances are there may be somebody living in the back room. That's sure. common throughout the country, and it's not even just Chinese restaurants. I went to a fire at a steakhouse, and right next to the racks of dishes in the most dingy basement that you could possibly imagine, where you had to duck your head under the pipes to get from one location to the other, were two mattresses where the dishwashers would sleep at night. So you got no places searched until we say it's searched. I've also been to fires in the city where we pulled up um, – Harper Avenue was one where they said, my, my kid is in that room. Well, the kid wasn't in that room. The kid was sleeping at the neighbor's house. So here we're all trying to kill ourselves, trying to find this person. The kid wasn't home. But if we went to a fire at the neighbor's house, we would have faced the same thing with the neighbor saying everybody's accounted for, not realizing the kid's sleeping at the house. So no place is searched until we search it. And we got to kind of instill that mindset of, yes, we want to attack with a sensible level of aggression, but let's at least get that primary search done quickly, safely, efficiently, and effectively to make sure nobody's there. Um, Dave? Absolutely. And, and, you know, it all comes down to uh, getting that fast search done, working as a team with the uh, the special service and the engine company. Uh, that first line's got to get in. You know, even, even if you're on a truck, you're going to have to grab a hose on and help that line get in uh, in order for them to either at least confine the fire or get you a point where you can branch off if you have to go to the second floor and search above the fire while they're actively pushing to knock that fire. So, Working as a team, uh, good communication, letting everybody know where you're going. And like you, to what your point, Frank, is is when you search that second floor, um, you know, primary search is complete on the second floor. Uh, again, letting command know that uh, I'm, I'm moving down to the first now or you need to get somebody to assign to the first to make sure that that primary is done. You don't want to just say like uh, search is negative and only half of, of, of the dwelling is, has been searched. Very well said. Let's talk about uh, room search because there's a bunch of different ways to do a room search. So, you know, if you were sitting across the table back in the day and somebody said they VES before somebody added the I to write an article, let's just be honest, because when they taught VES back in the day, it was always about it was always about closing the door. So I don't know when it came about not closing the door, because when I learned it in 92, it was about entering and closing the door. What I think we missed back then was during conventional search, crews would go in without a line. They'd break the window without closing the door. Well, the fire can't tell whether you entered, which way you entered from. So you're creating the same effect. But yet, firefighters, we were all a little too slow, including myself at the time, to realize, oh, wait a second. We are creating what's called the flow path now. So, you know, the the. The theory of, hey, let's go in the room as the boss, leave the door open to check for deteriorating conditions really should be dead because that's like a self 
fulfilling prophecy because if they take the window and you don't have a line, that's where the fire is going to want to go anyway. So it's much better to get in the room, shut the door. Now, I'll ask your guys' preference. It, it might different circumstances might dictate action. What I preferred to do was have the officer with the camera direct the search and one person go, you know, aggressively and search the room. But there's other ways of doing that. And also you can leapfrog and change out the person with the camera to conserve air so your air matches in the next room. I'll go to Mike first and we'll go around the horn of how you prefer to search a room after you close a door and you're going to affect your search when you don't have a line. And you're you're talking from the VES standpoint or just in general? No, I'm talking about you enter from from the house where conventional search you enter, you shut the door, it's two of you. How do you how do you like using that two person crew? What's what's your preference? So my experience that I've had a lot of success with um, as far and by success, I mean, constant communication. We know exactly where we are. We have a plan. You know, we'll come down the hall. <clears throat> depending, you know, um, the environment, depending, you pull the door shut behind you. A lot of box lights have a blinking feature. So you can flip it one side or the other and the light will physically blink. That's great. If you don't have that option, just put the light on, leave it at the door. Hey, I'm right here with the light. I got you. This is the, this is the door. Do your search. You can, you know, stay to the right wall, stay to the left wall. If you really want to get, you know, technical, but I never really did that. Just, I would go to the door. I kneel down. Hey, go knock it out. I'll be right here. Got the camera. You watch them. You know, if you have another guy with you, you go to the next room. Here's your light. Come back. Um, and then just communicate, you know, be able to really communicate with them and know where they're at. They'll come in, they'll quick in, quick out. No big deal. Um, use a tool to, uh, Stay oriented to the wall if need be. Um, you can use that tool to swing under the beds, behind doors. Be careful of the pike. You don't want to stab anybody or cause any undue harm. Um, but I think to me, that's been in my experience is really the easiest way, I think, is, you know, especially as the officer somehow perch yourself somewhere centralized, at, if at all possible, which hopefully it will be, um, at the means of eager, the word, the door to get out, right? The way you came in, the way you want to come back out, you're there to keep that door from shutting. You have control of the door so you don't get locked in or bumped in or, you know, what, what have you. And I, and I think that's the best way. Um, it's simplistic. It's very basic. It's not flashy. And, and I think simplicity in a, in a search like that will always be, um, I think, the best way to do it. Dave, what's your take? Um, coming in, you know, as a, as a boss, I, I would, uh, if we're up on the second floor, townhouses, things like that. If I've got a four person truck and I've got two guys in with me, um, we're going to split up and start going down the hallway. I'll be the oriented guy. I'll lead the search. You get, you go here, you go here. We'll meet back in the hallway. We'll move down. We'll knock out those rooms. Um, but again, knowing your first two area, if you're looking at McMansions, you know, you could jump into a room and one person isn't going to be able to search that room quickly. You're going to, they're going to need some help. Um, but for the most part, you know, for, for, uh, the, the, the normal size houses, um, I like being that oriented firefighter where I could, you know, direct crews knowing the rooms that they're in, we're knocking out rooms pretty quick. Um, keep an eye on fire conditions and things like that. Have, have my hand light and have my thermal imager, uh, and just direct the crews where to go. Sam. Yeah, I think you both hit on you know, the importance of, of supervising the search and uh, two, two reasons for that. One, yeah, you, you give your um, your firefighter or firefighter searching uh, a means of orientation. Uh, you know, hey, they, they get it's a bigger room. They get tangled up or they, they get disoriented. 
not only the light, but your voice, that kind of thing. Uh, but also, if you're searching with them, like if it's just two of you, okay, you go left, I go right. You, you're both actively engaged in the search. Nobody's paying attention to the radio, the conditions, other people in the, moving throughout the building, uh, listening for, to hear, you hear hearing water on the fire, you're hearing victims. You're, you're, if you're both engaged in the search, um, you're, you're going to miss something. So that, that, that officer as the sentinel uh, supervising the search, I think, is key. I think that's spot on. And, you know, when it comes to taking windows, I always said if you're on air and the primary is not complete and you can you can isolate the area you're in, then take the window. Room's going to lift real quick, facilitates a real rapid, clean search. You come back to that door when you open up the door to check conditions. If the line's not in place, then you got to leapfrog to another room and shut the door. Um, if the line's in place and it's operating evaluate and then you could chalk that door open to aid in ventilation but i think that you got to remember that if there's not a door to the room you're in you're in a living room you're in a kitchen you can't take the window no matter how nasty it is you got to keep it rich even when it starts getting really really hot if you decide to take that window it's not going to make it better so if the line's not in place you there's no such thing as bending for life unless you can isolate your position. Um, let's just talk a little bit about VES real quick because it's a, a conversation that we get. I know that we used to teach, you know, take the window out with a ladder. Now we know that that creates a full path. So you're better off to take out the window once you get to the top of the ladder. It may only buy a couple extra seconds, but it'll basically those extra couple seconds might mean that you can close the door. So the way we talk about VES in the article is I, uh, Mike and I kind of lay it out like this. First person comes up the ladder and takes out the window bellies in and shoots right for the door you know get to the door the second person comes to the top of the ladder as a beacon if the person going to the door gets to the door as soon as they shut the door second firefighter comes in if the first firefighter finds a victim on the way to the door that firefighter on the ladder immediately comes in because we're risking a lot to save a lot and when that firefighter, first firefighter gets to the door, the door may not be there or they may not be able to close it. And I don't care who you are. You're going to need two people to remove somebody out a window um, unless unless you're like Dave. But I mean, the rest of us, we're going to rest of us, it's tough getting somebody somebody out that window. So so that's kind of the, the scenario. And I often ask in class, who's the first person up the ladder? And uh I always get like different answers, the officer, the firefighter. I'm like, how about the first person who's ready? And it gives you some motivation to put your gear on right, because that's going to dictate who goes up first. Um, I'll go around the horn. Everybody take your take. No, just one way to do VES, but uh, just kind of throwing it out there. Dave, we'll start with you first. We'll go right around. Yeah. Again, everything that you said is 100%. Uh, I, I tell, uh, you know, when we teach VES, you know, the, the first things first is ladders are thrown for rescue. Uh, every ladder that we throw is thrown for rescue. If you take a ladder and you throw it for ventilation and then you got to climb back down and readjust, you don't have that kind of time. So you need to learn how to take out windows uh, at face level um, and then obviously take the whole window out. Search search uh, underneath the, the windowsill. You know, I, th I think you did a, a really good video of that with the pumpkins, Frank, of, uh, you know, you don't smash down, you sweep 
with the blunt side of the tool. So you're not murdering somebody who's possibly viable um, in and then uh, one of the things that we teach, we teach what's called the corner trick. If you're searching a room on an outside wall of a house, the door is always going to be opposite of the outside wall. So if you if you're on the on the delta side, then the door is going to be moving towards the Bravo side. So you should start making a diagonal line towards where that door is. It's not 100 percent, but it's about 95 percent. Finding that door quick, shut the door, bang out the search. Um, you know, let your partner know that hey. You know, depending on the size of the room, too, if it's a small room, like in a townhouse or a row house, you might not be able to get two people in there. So that person on the ladder may be that beacon. Uh, bang out the search real quick. Come back and we move over to the next next window. If that's what we're op- if that's how we're operating. You're muted, Frank. Sorry about that. Um, before <laughs> I go on the mic, quick question. Have you actually found a room where the door is farther away if you go towards the corner? Because I haven't. I found it the same distance. I found it a foot shorter, two foot shorter, all sometimes six feet, nine feet, 10 feet, 12 feet shorter. I've never found a room where that door is uh, where it makes sense to go the other way. You said 95% of the time. Were you just being cautious or you found a room where it doesn't work? I've never found I've never found a room uh, that's on an outside wall where that door has not been opposite of that outside wall. Um, but you never say a hundred percent, you never say right. always and never in the fire service. So you know, somebody will prove me wrong because some person with, you know, a hundred million dollars in Potomac has doors. God knows where. Um, right. And before I go to, before I go to, uh, to Mike, uh, Dave's talking about the outside corner. So it's gotta be a corner bedroom. It could be in the front, it can be in the back, but any corner bedroom, if, if the buildings and if the bedrooms in the middle of a ranch, it won't hold true. But if it's the, just picture this. You're going up the ladder. Look at the outside corner that where if you kept going, there would be no house. And just when you go in, move away from that corner, you'll get to the door quicker. And just so you know, I made that popular, but I stole it from Howard Blythe from New York City. So we'll give him credit because he bought us a steak dinner in Indy. <laughs> he, did too. he bought us a dinner at thing, but I stole that from him. <laughs> Howard Blythe and everybody gives me credit for it now. So I got to give Howard Howard credit for the corner trick. Uh, Mike. So I have not heard a correlation between those two. So I definitely um, I came in to this tonight knowing I'm, I'm going to probably learn a lot and be a little bit out of my league. And uh, you proved me right. Here you go. So um, I think ultimately, just like anything else in the fire service, anything, whether you're an engine company, a truck company, it doesn't matter what the skill is or what the the strategy is it all comes down to what you agree on and train before right so i think if you're on a truck and you know hey real world possibility of us ves whatever you and you and your crew decide on of we want a firefighter to go up because as we're putting the you know firefighter one's putting the ladder up firefighter two's getting dressed that way when the, the ladder goes up pops the window or you you know you're going to have him climb up and take the window he's already ready to go and as he's climbing up you should practice. You're all ready to go. You have all your stuff up and it's, it's smooth, it's seamless. Um, and then, you know, I think that's how, um, personally, I think where you're going to get the most success is you agree upon it before the call ever happens. You train on that continuously. So no matter who's doing what position, they all know exactly what's going to happen if you have a VS scenario. And then, um, you know, I think I personally think, the officer should be the second one up. They have the camera. 
on from, for the most part, I think the officers are usually the ones that have cameras. So, I mean, some places they may have some in the back, but who I, we'll just say for uh, ease of conversation, uh, the firefighter with the camera should be the second one up. So you can watch him as he's doing it. Uh, the first firefighter is doing their thing, finds the door, shuts it. If you find a victim, you can see it. Um, and then again, you can be that beacon. You can drop your hand light in, flick the light on for him. Flat, you know, again, if you have that flash setting on the flashlight um, and then you, in my opinion, my experience is you're also that, like you said, uh, the sentinel for that for that room. You can they know now they now know how they got there because they can see you, hopefully. And then if God forbid you have deteriorating conditions, they have to unask that place. They know exactly where to go to because you're yelling at them, making noise, banging on the floor. They can hopefully see your light. You're watching them with the camera. And um, that's kind of what I think. One of the things that, that I didn't mention, Frank, that, that uh, you know, before you close the door, take the time to sweep your hand out in the hallway. Again, we're looking at ways of exit. If they exited that room and they only made it to the hallway, how, how bad would it suck to shut the door? And that dude's found on the other side of that door of that room that you search. Take a second, sweep your hand out there real quick and then, uh, you know, isolate and do your job. That's a that's a great point. And some departments don't have the staffing to do VES from one window and then go VES to the other window. Some will start with doing VES, kind of like an alternate entry, and then check the conditions to see if they can start their conventional search from that location. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, Sam, could you weigh in on this? But also, um, Capital Fire Training that two of you both work for, um, Andy Steins posted a still on his uh, Twitter page, and it had a officer shoot in a room with the camera to take a look, and it was in the warm-up stage. So in other words, the officer didn't turn on the camera until they got right in front of the room, and I said, that's a great picture, and I contacted Andy, and I go, hey, I want to steal that for FDIC this year of get into the habit of turning on your camera before you get into action in the building. And he goes, oh, I can't give you permission from it. It's from Capital Fire. I go, oh, I'm stealing it from them, definitely. I'm <laughs> asking. <laughs> so no doubt so andy gave you guys credit so you gotta you gotta appreciate that no he's coming so to frederick ahead. to teach for us so uh if that's the least he could do right <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah no I'm, I'm on board with everybody else with that um uh, as far as that camera thing goes you know it's it sucks because uh we don't have that problem anymore but for for a little while um we had aging imagers and the batteries were dying like quick and uh, i think that was maybe you know countrywide just people we got to, everybody bought imagers roughly not at the same time but that kind of couple of years and then we had them for a while and then we're like oh crap we've got to replace these and before we did you know you were you're burning through batteries and uh we would like it, you almost felt like you, it's almost like the ev button the ev the emergency button uh you know we People are afraid to hit it. People are afraid to hit it. I'm like, you got to train. You got to train. You got to train people to use it. God forbid you need it. And you're, you're so, you're so keyed into not, not wanting to hit it. You don't hit it. Um, but we conserve our battery so much that it'd be like, I, man, I'm not going to turn this thing on until I absolutely need it. And um, thankfully these days, the, the, the technology is a lot better with the, with the batteries and that kind of stuff. We don't worry about that. So thankfully, I think, um, you know, maybe that's an issue that, that we don't, hopefully we don't have as much of a problem with these days. Dave, I'll, I'll go around the horn with this. Um, you pull up, you got somebody hanging from the second floor window, and you're an engine company, and you're going to make the move 
you got to make that decision. Am I going to make the grab or am I going to get the line in place? Kind of talk us talk us through the reasoning there, and then we'll go to Mike and we'll go to Sam. The it all it all is going to be based on your size up. You know, if we we had something similar to that a long time ago when I was in Silver Spring, we had fire on two floors of a garden apartment. And we had people hanging out of a third floor window. Um, we knew that you know it was we were running heavy. We had four on the engine. We could get the line up the stairs real quick. We knew exactly where the fire was. We could start knocking that fire. My driver, well, I would say my driver, the driver, um, set the pumps and threw a ladder and rescued those two people off of that. So it comes down to training is, is, is the what if scenario that happens. Now, if the smoke conditions that are coming out of that window, we all know what that looks like, that turbulent smoke where the, where that room's going to light off. They, they need to get out right now. Um, you're going to probably have to uh, get that line, abandon that line, get a, get a ladder thrown right away and start making that rescues and let the second do engine company know if you're in an, a, a more urban environment where that engine, second engine might be right behind you. Um, you're going to have to get that line in place and start working on the fire. We're effectively making rescues. Um, we run into that a lot in the first battalion where, where I used to work um, with these apartments, garden apartments are everywhere. Um that the fires would, would get, would gain hold so rapidly that the, the, the doors don't close, the hallways are all smoked up and we're pulling people off of balconies, um, while we're still struggling to try to get a line in place. But we see what the conditions are behind. Now, if they've got, you know, wispy white smoke behind them, it's more of, we'll be, we'll be with you. We're going to put this fire out and then we're going to come and get you. But I think it all comes down to your, you, you know, your size up and, and what, based on your experience, what do you think is going to happen if you, put the fire out versus throw a ladder and get that person down. I think that's very well said. I think that we just got to really clarify with the viewers out there that whatever you think is right is wrong if you don't go through command or notify the other companies. So if you're the engine company and you see that person there and you're going to make that decision based off circumstances that you're going to make the grab, that's fine. But you have to notify the other incoming companies that your position has to be replaced because now you're not getting the line or vice versa. Uh, Mike, weigh in on that. Yeah. I mean, you guys kind of touched on what I was going to say. I think the other biggest thing that you need to do too, is just like anything else with a lot of these scenarios is make a decision, right? Make a decision and follow through with it, right, wrong or indifferent. You're going to, you have to see it through. You can't bounce back. You have to choose one path. It sucks if you're not right. It kind of, it's a tough position to be in, but, you know, hopefully again, this touches on that foundation we talked about at the very beginning, you have that foundation of knowing, you know, uh, or you have the foundation of having a, a little bit of knowledge of what you're looking at and you'll know whether it's rescue or fire or depending on your staffing, how many people you have, who your staffing is. Like if you know your guys, you know, your guys are sharp. Can you split, right? Can <clears throat> they all, what I think you should do is the officer, you go to the IDLH, that rescue, your firefighters can handle that, figure that out. The IDLH is why you're a supervisor. You're there to supervise them. You're there to monitor them and do that job, in my opinion. Um, so if you split, two guys are going to put the fire out. The driver's going to go get the um, the guy, they'll take a ladder, make the rescue. Whatever your decision is, make it, stick with it, see it through and adapt as needed. And it all comes down to basics of, like you said before, of what the building is, your size up, fire dynamics of where you're at. You know, if they're up there and they can shelter in place, like if they're like, hey, I'm right here. And you're like, hey, go shut your door in your room and they can hang at the window. Then they did a lot of the work to make themselves more safe and, you can, and they can, um, you know, they get a little bit more time. But, you know, just like anything else, uh, it's all a matter of what you have in front of you in that in that moment. 
And, um, you know, I'm still a firm believer of if you, you know, you put that fire out, a lot of the other problems are going to stop. That's just my personal opinion. Absolutely. I just, I just really think when the, when the fire goes out, <laughs> that's always the priority. That's why the engine will always be the backbone of the fire service. If you put the fire out, all those problems are going to start getting better. That's my take. They'll start getting better, but for the unconscious person inside, someone still needs to be aggressively Absolutely. confirm that Absolutely. primary. And I encourage everybody that's viewing this today or during the week, you know, whenever, go to Dave Polykoff's class at FDIC if you're in a command position and get your hand on radios and go through his workshop because it's such a great training to have where you as an individual is giving information to command. And, you know, I always say information goes up, orders come down, you know, command officers aren't super people, you know, they, they miss things too. So it's really how good the command officer is, is really dictated a lot of times by how good the company officers are and the information they're giving them to. So if you're a company officer and you're going to make the grab and you can't do the line, you know, give that information to command. Let the command then kind of key that command officer's line that, hey, mind, I got to do something else. Or in New Haven, I used to piss off the chief because when I was on an engine company, if I pulled up to commercial fire and there was another engine company there getting her two and a half in place, I'd get on the radio and say, engine 10 to command, I'm getting engine four's line in place. So now he was like, well, what now I have to replace Frank's assignment because he's going to help the other individual. So give that information. So take Dave's class at FDIC. Sam, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, deliberate, defendable, and communicated. That's um, that's in our incident response policy. It's like uh, it's it's to the point now where guys are starting to use it to kind of get try to get away with stuff. You know, well, it it, it was a deliberate action, and uh, here's how I'm defending it. And I told command, you know, but uh, well, you got to text you got to text that to me because I could I could use that in my class. I uh, that's a good way to. That's like uh, ventilation, coordinated, communicated, and control. I, I I like that. That's a good uh, thing. Say that again for everybody. Deliberate, defendable, and communicated. So as long as you – if you deviate from, from the SOP or you do something other than what, what command is assuming you – you know, hey, I know the second engine is going to be in this position or the second truck is going to be in the rear. If, if you've changed that or you've changed whatever you were going to do because you've been – you've encountered a, 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 a trapped occupant or something, you know, some, something's changed that's, that's made you have to approach it differently. As long as it's deliberate, defendable and communicated, we're, we're good with it. I, I love it. I think that's, I think that's great. Um, the last tactic we're going to go over tonight uh, before we hit the witching hour that I think needs to be communicated is that, and it goes right to that aggressive thing. Again, we see companies when, <clears throat> when there's fire through the roof or, you know, most of the building is untenable. There's, a, okay, we're going defensive. We're, we're announcing that mode defensive and everything slows down. There still has to be a proper size up to evaluate the structure to see if there's a place where somebody could be. I mean, even if it's the only place we can look is right behind the front door, somebody's still got to make that aggressive nature. The same goes for a car fire. You know, somebody's got to at least look inside and not just assume nobody's in there or survival. You know, can somebody survive in this one room? Can we search this one room? I'll go to Dave and we'll go around the horn. 
yeah, that that uh, plays right into um, that that active 360. You know, you, you arrive on the scene, you give your on scene report, you're going to do your 360. Uh, that needs to be ongoing, especially if if you're talking about going defensive. Um, you need eyes on the rear. You need eyes on on the the Delta and Bravo side. If you can't see, um, do we have rooms that we can pop into real quick? Do a quick search and jump out. You know, if this house isn't 100, percent you know floor to ceiling, left, right, front, back on fire, then there's probably some searchable areas that we need to account for um, that can be done, you know, so say that that we search the areas that we can search. Um, So that that whole continual 360, especially if you're working in a defensive environment and you can't slow down, you know, the the intent is let's get the majority of this fire knocked so we can transition back into a uh, an offensive attack and finish the job. Now, we never say we're doing a transitional attack, right, Sam? Because then you get punched in the face. But um, we we can go from one to the other. But if we're just slowing down and sitting on our two and a half and just kind of playing the water back and forth, then then your intent is that you're not going to to try to go in and finish the job. Um, so we need to make sure that we're still moving with a purpose, still being aggressive, even if we're defensive. Mike? Yeah, tempo's everything. I mean, you, you guys kind of, I think you hit just about everything there is to say. But uh, I think, but basically common sense, you know, I mean, it's clear someone's not going to probably be alive in there, but you can get in on this side and take a look around. You just have to be smart about it. I don't think, and this isn't towards you, Dave, don't just jump in a room to look around because you want to. Like everything needs to have a reason of what you're doing. Everything needs to be done methodically. And I think this touches on, or this scenario that you're saying is just like everything else we've kind of talked about tonight is there's always that gray area. And that gray area, in my opinion, can always be solved with uh, common sense and a good foundation and and experience. Experience will always be king. And I think that'll lead you to knowing what spots you need to search. And then I think some of them are kind of common sense and some of them are kind of common sense that it's clear you don't need to search there or it's not practical for us to search there or it's they're not viable to search there. And your temple should always be the same. Whether you're it's defensive, offensive, rescue, no rescue, you should always be operating at your at that cruising speed of efficiency, right? Quick and um, effective. Sam, yeah, no, um, I got nothing to add other than you know the whole the, the transition. Yeah, we don't say transitional attack over the radio. Uh, I, I use. There's um, got to be a story to that. I, I mean, we don't got a lot of time, but give us something. <laughs> no, no, it's just uh, a, you know, like literally when that first came out, like we had we we uh, I had somebody over the radio say, "I'm hitting it hard from the yard. This is no bullshit." But um, I stole uh, I stole from Ricky Riley. Uh, give it a dash. Hey, give it give it a quick dash. And I, I tell my 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 battalion, uh, look, I'm not asking you. To, to put the fire out from the outside. I'm asking you to take this thing out of it. You're still going to get in there and get salty. You're still going to get a piece of it. But if it's, if it's out, the wind is real good. And we have it. And it's, we have a chance. If we, if we give it a dash, we can get in there and both perform a, an aggressive search and put the fire completely out. Um, give it a dash. It doesn't have to be, you know, I, I used to think a 10 count, but it doesn't even take that. And I, and I, I talk to my, I communicate that expectation very well to my folks. And honestly, it never comes over. It, bar- it, it rarely it came over the radio on one of the two fires I had last week. Um, Thanksgiving, we get two, um, which, yeah, it's rare. I know. But 
hey, I'm, I'm, I'm riding on cloud nine right now, okay? Um, both went very well. Everybody did their job. Nobody got hurt. Uh, all the occupants got out on harm. But um, it came up where, uh, you know, the, the back of this house was off. It was a Florida room. And uh, the, fir- the first new incident commander was a brand-new volunteer chief. Um, it was his first fire. Uh, he did a great job, and he communicated that. And, um, but rarely do I have to say, Hey, give it a dash. They're usually just doing it. If it, if it's out the windows real good, they're giving it a quick dash while the officers finish masking up or the officer finishes their 360 or, or whatever, you know, there's, there's, there's no cowards in that. That's that just, in my opinion, that's just common sense. It sounds like you're in the firehouse. <laughs> either, that, either that or it's an active shooter. <laughs> a two and a five year old uh, behind a baby gate in our in our den, and and nobody's falling off the couch. It looks like a bomb went off in there. But um, <laughs> I, I thought I would. I also thought I'd beat these these guys who are all working, who are all like subject to discipline into uh, into like what happened at the debate, but nobody watched it. So I want to give one tactic. If our, if our listeners watched it last night, one thing was like really, really stuck out at me that I want to, I want to put out so they don't fall into that trap. If you're a fire chief or your union rep or you're talking to somebody. So Nikki Haley's on stage and the Vic starts off by saying when she left office, she was bankrupt and now she's a millionaire. And everybody knows that Nikki Haley wasn't bankrupt. Remember, correction is a drug. So when he purposely baited her by saying she was bankrupt, what he was trying to do was to bait her to answer the question instead of addressing the fact that he called her corrupt for taking the $8 million for Boeing after leaving government office. She went on to defend that why she's not bankrupt and she kept going on about it. And it was such a trap. So remember, when somebody says something who's a little bit methodical and they say something that's incorrect, make sure they're not doing it on purpose to bait you into correcting it to talk about the narrative that they want to talk about. So it was a tactic I used to use on people. So I kind of appreciated it when I saw it. I said, oh, God, you know how many times I've used that on politicians where I accused them of something that I knew wasn't the case? And they came back and said exactly what I wanted them to say or didn't say exactly what I wanted them to say. So always be aware of that. Correction's a drug. Sometimes don't fall in the trap, but you could also use that if you're uh, in the firehouse or something like that. If you're trying to get the truth of a matter, accuse somebody of doing something they didn't do, and you'll find out what they actually did do. Um, that's Another it. funny thing, a funny thing real, real quick, if I may, um, I was told this when I was a young firefighter, when I first started volunteering by one of the older guys, and it's something I never really appreciated until I got much, 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 much older. And sometimes I still kind of, I don't know, kind of a hypocrite on it, but uh, there's an old saying, I believe it's Mark Twain, where it says it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear to be stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's that, was Mark, that was, that was Mark, Mark Twain. Uh, Mike, you were a great guest on uh, Politics and Tactics. Honor to have you on. You have a better radio voice than like all of us, just so you know. <laughs> Mike, he's got a better microphone rig too, man. Yeah. That, that's bomb. 30 bucks on Amazon. He couldn't even get it to work. You know, he had the fancy thing. He couldn't get it to work in the beginning. So let's just put that uh, yeah. Here we are. are. All right. Thank uh, you. Everybody, I'm going to give everybody the last word before we uh, sign off tonight. And uh, we're going to start with Dave Polykoff, who has a great workshop at FDIC. We hope to see you all at FDIC this year. Uh, Dave Polykoff. 
Yep. Uh, I'll plug it. Uh, definitely uh, Command Under Fire. Uh, it's the f- maybe fourth or fifth year that Fire Engineering is inviting me back. It's uh, I love doing the show. Um, you know, get to get to get people out there to actually see what it's like to to be an incident commander if they're not, or get these uh, seasoned incident commanders to be able to just kind of get some sets and reps in, uh, uh, filling out tactical worksheets and giving on scene reports and directing their people. So um, it's a huge honor to be coming back out there. Um, but uh, Command Under Fire, it's going to be Tuesday. Uh, I'll be going off the same time as Frank, so I won't be able to sit in Frank's class and heckle him. But uh, um, we just get my mom. That's right. Definitely looking forward to getting out there. Mike, uh, feel free to plug your uh, podcast again because it is great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you guys for this opportunity. It's my first one, and uh, I'm I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Um, the podcast, Tip of the Spear Leadership. Uh, you can search it on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Twitter and TikTok. I think I still do TikTok. Um, just search it. I'll come right up. Um, you know, my biggest thing with, I guess, a lot of this is, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy riding a fire truck. I don't have a special message. I don't have something to sell you. I don't, I don't care about any of that. Uh, maybe I'll do stickers. I don't know. But uh, my goal here is just to kind of just pass along what I learned, kind of the stuff I wish I knew. And maybe it'll help somebody. I mean, I don't know. Um, but that's kind of who I am, what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, my thing, I guess the biggest thing I have to say is just take care of each other, be smart. And if you're an officer, you know, you need to make, you need to make sure you take care of your guys. And if you're thinking about being an officer, you really need to make sure you know what you're doing as a firefighter first. Don't, don't, don't go chasing rank. You need to make sure you need, you have a strong foundation to, um, be effective. So that's all, that's all I got. And, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you guys again for this opportunity. Appreciate it. I don't have you on, Sam. Yeah, hey man, uh, Mike. I most recently listened to your um, uh, your way of the engine one with Roger, uh, who I grew up with in Ocean City, Maryland. Actually, our dads and our granddads grew up together. Um, that's how long I've known Roger and the Bolanis have known the Steggers. But um, I really enjoyed that podcast. I listened to you. Um, I listen. That's all I do. I listen to listen, man. I, and I'm guilty of it. I listen to getting salty, like it's going out of style, it's like the warrior stories. It's fun. But I, but I love listening um, uh, to yours. I listen to Keep the Promise. Uh, there's a handful of other ones that I, that I plug into that I truly enjoy. And, I, and I'm, uh, thanks for putting that stuff out there because uh, it, it, it makes us all better. No, thank you. Uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And, you know, you definitely named some really good uh, shows as well for other people to listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great one, man. Yeah, I, I mean, it, listen, it, it's, uh, you do a great job. And, and thanks thank for putting you. that stuff out there. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. That's it for Politics and Tactics tonight. Um, Hopefully, you'll see you at FDIC. And uh, hopefully, the Instructors Association and NFPA starts taking notice that maybe we need to change the way we do the pre-walkthroughs and the open burn rooms. We don't want to lead to empty promises. We want to keep firefighters safe, but we got to reflect operational realities out of here. And that's something that NFPA and the Instructors Association uh, can change. So um, look for Mike and uh, my article. It's going to be coming out soon from Fire Engineering once we submit it. Um, uh, but uh, it's actually almost done. So uh, that's it for Politics and Tactics tonight. Uh, be safe. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip. 
the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. IFSTA is dedicated to advancing firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, instructor resources, and student study materials. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training content has made us a fire service leader. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. <laughs> 